With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Domo Arigato.
again, 858-815-2333. Happy AVN weekend, Grinders. Baby, I'm about to blow up. I just thought you should know. I know you remember when I blown up. But then I might have to go. True genius, distant planet, unknown species. My rap straight crack like Put you up along my smile, bring you back down under a while, fill you with life, with a wisp of death, till we're both running clear, out of breath, 
till we expire on sins and sighs, on dreams and fears, upon our thighs. We'll bury deep here, counting sheep to rise and shine in our daily grind.
And we're back. You're listening to Playtime with Sandra Radio, and I'm your hostess, Sandra London of livinggrind.com. You just heard uh, Blown Up by Stefan Solea, uh, Our Little Death by yours truly, Sandra London of livinggrind.com, and uh, Amisa by Mombojo. Okay, for this evening's episode, um, I uploaded a rough draft recording of On the Road uh, by the famous author Jack Kerouac. Um, just an excerpt of it uh, from the beginning, and I will play that in just a little while. <laughs> um, it is a rough draft. I just like pressed record and just started reading until I stopped. <laughs> so I don't know. Generally, for those of you who have listened to some of my other uh, recordings of classic uh, works of literature, um, you'll hear I'll try to do different voices for all the characters and all this. Um, and with this one, like I don't know, it was... Uh, a stretch to do on the fly, just, you know, recording and reading, because it's, if you're familiar with Jack Kerouac's style, it's very uh, stream of consciousness, <laughs> very, very much so. Um, and then, depending on where, like, one or two of his characters are from, I'm like, wait, what kind of accent would that be, or how can I do that? <laughs> so, yeah, there's a little uh, bit of I don't know, discord perhaps, and some of the spoken uh, parts, but who knows, maybe you won't notice if I didn't tell you, I don't know. (laughs) Uh, But yeah, I will play that very soon, and I believe I will also play a recording of uh, Celeste, um, or, sorry, uh, Oratio Oblica, Indirect Speech, is actually its uh, formal name, (laughs) Um, after the on the road recording but uh let me give you a few more songs and then a little bit of trivia about avian adult video news network uh stuff but yeah sit tight relaxed and for all of you who attended uh avian awards weekend in las vegas hope you had a wonderful awesome magnificent lovely sexy time um and congratulations to everyone uh, winners and contenders Here's your next song. What did I write? Oh, I will do, uh, let's do 100 Chips by Roges featuring Black Blago. And I'll be right back with you. The call-in number is 858-815-2333. Once again, 858-815-2333. Yeah. Chuck. And I guess I want it all, man. We talking about yachts on the grip. I guess I want it all, man. $100 pro. $100 pro. Bitch, I'm black Plago, city of Chicago. Politics, my pimpin' black tenant, Marcialago. Female cargo, push them out the cardo. Bitch, you know I'm Gucci, I'm who hoes go to war for. Middleman strategy, me, I'm sitting casually. Waiting by the exit for my bitch to bring my present, call it tax free settlement. Blago gon' embezzle it. And jury gets me getting money's evident. Yep. Study dead presidents turned it into blood money. Bitch could cry a ripper, couldn't even get a hug nope. from it. Pimping on this line, be on time, work your service. My constituents are rich, get my money, it's your purpose to yep. support us. Yep. Supporters, oh, lay down like union workers, flipping burgers, it's your Still future. Money. While I island hop Bermuda, yep. getting money like I'm supposed to. <laughs> Pimping legal hoes, too. Yep. Dead grows a Mac and paper stacking on the floor. Uh, yeah. Yeah. What's your plan? And I guess boy? I will yeah. like your pop, like your pop. 
pirate, nigga. Wild and livid, searching for the prizes in it. Mob the Senate, bomb the village. Mazel talk, cocktail, jump up, about to witness. What it feels like to be got with a shot of grimace. It is built into the plot, we some rotten killers. Filling pilgrims into rivers, time my hearts and quivers. Burning trees and frigid winter, shiver hot me timbers. What a scene we paint today, nigga, die or fill us. I could sing, I would sing for you all, but I think you 
I'll probably know I cannot sing. <laughs> I, uh, let's try this again. Um, mm, I was going uh, to play. Is that not doing it? Uh, what? Mm, let's try. Oh, let me give it one more try with a different song. Let's try A Jail by Glassboy. Um, and then I will do the rough draft of, uh, I'll play the rough draft of uh, On the Road by Jack Kerouac, recorded by yours truly, Sandra London of livinggrind.com.
you're listening to Playtime with Sandra Radio, and I'm your hostess, Sandra London of LiveAndGrind.com. Now, without further ado, here is uh, uh, my rough draft of On the Road by Jack Kerouac. On the Road by Jack Kerouac. Recorded by Sandra London, June 17th, 2015. Part 1. I first met Dean not long after my wife and I split up. I had just gotten over a serious illness that I won't bother to talk about, except that it had something to do with the miserably weary split up and my feelings that everything was dead. With the coming of Dean Moriarty began the part of my life you could call my life on the road. Before that, I'd often dreamed of going west to see the country, always vaguely planning and never taking off. Dean is the perfect guy for the road because he actually was born on the road when his parents were passing through Salt Lake City in 1926 in a jalopy on their way to Los Angeles. First reports of him came to me through Chad King, who'd shown me a few letters from him written in a New Mexico reform school. I was tremendously interested in the letters because they so naively and sweetly asked Chad to teach him all about Nietzsche and all the wonderful intellectual things that Chad knew. At one point, Carlo and I talked about the letters and wondered if we would ever meet the strange Dean Moriarty. This is all far back, when Dean was not the way he is today when he was a young jail kid shrouded in mystery. The news came that Dean was out of reform school and was coming to New York for the first time. Also, there was talk that he had just married a girl called Mary Lou. One day, I was hanging around the campus, and Chad and Tim Gray told me Dean was staying in a cold water pad in East Harlem, the Spanish Harlem. Dean had arrived the night before, the first time in New York, this beautiful little sharp chick, Mary Lou. They got off the Greyhound bus at 50th Street and cut around the corner looking for a place to eat and went right in Hector's. And since then, Hector's Cafeteria has always been a big symbol of New York for Dean. They spent money on beautiful big glazed cakes and cream puffs. All this time, Dean was telling Mary Lou things like this. Now, darling, here we're in New York, and although I haven't quite told you everything that I was thinking about when we could cross Missouri, and especially at the point when we passed the Boonville Reformatory, which reminded me of my jail problem, it is absolutely necessary now to postpone all those leftover things concerning our personal love things, and at once began thinking of specific work-life plans, and so on in the way that he had in those early days. I went to the cold water flat with the boys, and Dean came to the door in his shorts. Mary Lou was jumping off the couch. Dean had dispatched the occupant of the apartment to the kitchen, probably to make coffee, while he proceeded with his love problems. For him, for to him, sex was the one and only holy and important thing in life, although he had to sweat and curse to make a living and so on. You saw that in the way he stood, bobbing his head, always looking down, nodding like a young boxer to instructions to make you think he was listening to every word, throwing in a thousand yeses and that's right. 
My first impression of Dean was of a young Gene Autry, trim, thin-hipped, blue-eyed, with a real Oklahoma accent, a sideburned hero of the snowy west. In fact, he'd just been working on a ranch, Ed Walls, in Colorado, before marrying Mary Lou and coming east. Mary Lou was a pretty blonde with immense ringlets of hair like a sea of golden tresses. She sat there on the edge of the couch with her hands hanging in her, her lap and her smoky blue country eyes fixed in a wide stare because she was in an evil gray New York pad that she'd heard about back west and waiting like a long-bodied, emaciated, modigliani surrealist woman in a serious room. But outside of being a sweet little girl, she was awfully dumb and capable of doing horrible things. That night, we all drank beer and pulled wrists and talked till dawn. And in the morning, while we sat around dumbly smoking butts from ashtrays in the gray light of gloomy day, Dean got up nervously, paced around, thinking, and decided the thing to do was to have Mary Lou make breakfast and sweep the floor. In other words, we've got to get on the on the ball, darling, what I'm saying. Otherwise, it'll be fluctuating like true knowledge or crystallization of our plans. Then I went away. <clears throat> During the following week, he confided in Chad King that he absolutely had to learn how to write from him. Chad said I was a writer and he could come to me for advice. Meanwhile, Dean had gotten a job in a parking lot, had a fight with Mary Lou in their Hoboken apartment. God knows why they were there. And she was so mad and so down deep vindictive that she reported to the police some false trumped up hysterical crazy charge and Dean had to land from Hoboken so he had no place to live. He came right out to P Patterson, New Jersey, where I was living with my aunt, and one night while I was studying there was a knock on the door, and there was Dean bowing, shuffling obsequiously in the dark of the hall and saying, Hello, you remember me, Dean Moriarty? I've come to ask you to show me how to write. And where's Mary Lou, I asked. And Dean said she'd apparently hoard a few dollars together and gone back to Denver. The whore. So we went out to have a few beers because we couldn't talk like we wanted to talk in front of my aunt, who sat in the living room reading her paper. She took one look at Dean and decided that he was a madman. In the bar, I told Dean, Hell, oh, man, I know very well you didn't come to me only to want to become a writer. And after all, what do I really know about it except you've got to stick to it with the energy of a Benny addict? And he said, yes, of course, I know exactly what you mean. And in fact, all those problems have occurred to me. But the thing that I want is a realization of those factors. That's one to depend on Schopenhauer's dichotomy for any inwardly realized, and so on in that way. Things I understood not a bit, and he himself didn't. In those days, he really didn't know what he was talking about. That is to say, he was a young jail kid, all hung up on the wonderful possibilities of becoming a real intellectual, and liked to talk in the tone and using the words, but in a jumbled way that he had heard from real intellectuals. Although, mind you, he wasn't so naive as that in all other things. And it took him just a few months with Carlo Marx to become completely in there with all the terms and jargon. Nonetheless, we understood each other on other levels of madness. And I agreed that he could stay at my house till he found a job. And furthermore, we agreed to go out west in time. That was the winter of 1947. One night, when Dean ate supper at my house, he already had the parking lot job in New York. He leaned over my shoulders as I typed rapidly away and said, Come on, man, 
those girls won't wait. Make it fast. I said, hold on just a minute. I'll be right with you as soon as I finish this chapter. And it was one of the best chapters in the book. Then I dressed and off we flew to New York to meet some girls. As we rode in the bus, in this weird phosphorescent void of the Lincoln Tunnel, we leaned on each other with fingers waving and yelled and talked excitedly as I was beginning to get the bug, like Dean. He was simply a youth tremendously excited with life, and though he was a con man, he was only conning because he wanted so much to live and to get involved with people who would otherwise pay no attention to him. He was conning me, and I knew it, for room and board and how to write, etc. And he knew, I knew, this has been the basis of our relationship, but I didn't care about how we got along, or I didn't care, and we got along fine. No pestering, no catering. We tiptoed around each other like heartbreaking new friends. I began to learn from him as much as he probably learned from me. As far as my work was concerned, he said, Go ahead. Everything you do is great. He watched over my shoulder as I wrote stories, yelling, Yes, that's right. Wow. Man. And whew. And wiped his face with his handkerchief. Man, wow, there's so many things to do, so many things to write. How to even begin to get it all down? And without modified restraints, I'm all hung up on, like, literary inhibitions and grammatical fears. <laughs> That's right, man, now you're talking. And a kind of holy lightning I saw flashing from his excitement and his visions, which he described so torrentially that people on buses looked around to see the overexcited night. In the West, he'd spent a third of his time in the pool hall a third in jail, and a third in the public library. They'd see him rushing eagerly down the winter streets, bareheaded, carrying books to the pool hall, or climbing trees to get into the attics of buddies where he spent days reading or hiding from the law. We went to New York. I forget what the situation was. Two colored girls. There were no girls there. They were supposed to meet him at a diner and didn't show up. We went to his parking lot where he had a few things to do change his clothes in the shack and back and spruce up a bit in front of a cracked mirror and so on. And then we took off. And that was the night Dean met Carlo Marx. A tremendous thing happened when Dean met Carlo Marx. Two keen minds that they are, they took to each other at the drop of a hat. Two piercing eyes glanced into two piercing eyes. The holy con man with the shiny mind and the sorrowful poetic con man with the dark mind that is Carlo Marx. From that moment on, I saw very little of Dean, and I was a little sorry, too. Their energies met head-on. I was a lout compared. I couldn't keep up with them. The whole Matt's world of everything that was to come began then. It would mix up all my friends and all I had left of my family and a big dust cloud over the American night. Carlo told him of old bully Elmer Hassel, Jane, Lee in Texas growing weed, Hassel on Rikers Island, Jane wandering on Times Square in a Benzedrine hallucination with her baby girl in her arms and ending up in Bellevue, and Dean told Carlo of unknown people in the West like Tommy Shark, the club-footed pool hall rotation shark and card player and queer saint. He told him of Roy Johnson, Big Ed Dunkel, his boyhood buddies, his street buddies, his innumerable girls and sex parties and pornographic pictures, his heroes, heroines, adventures. They rushed down the street together, digging everything in the early way they had, which later became so much sadder, perceptive, and blank. But then they danced down the streets like dingledodies, and I shambled after, as I've been doing all my life after people who interest me, because the only people for me are the mad ones.
the ones who are mad to live, mad to talk, mad to be saved, desirous of everything at the same time, the ones who never yawn or stay a commonplace thing, but burn, 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 like fabulous yellow Roman candles exploding like spiders across the stars. And then in the middle, you see the blue center light pop, and everybody goes, aww. What if they call such young people in ghost Germany? Wanting dearly to learn how to write like Carlo, the first thing you know, Dean was attacking him with a great amorous soul such as only a con man can have. Now, Carlo, let me speak. Here's what I'm saying. I didn't see them for about two weeks, during which time they cemented their relationship to fiendish all-day, all-night talk proportions. And then came spring, the great time of traveling, and everybody in the scattered gang was getting ready to take one trip or another. I was busily at work on my novel, and when I came to the halfway mark, after a trip down south with my aunt to visit my brother Rocco, I got ready to travel west for the very first time. Dean had already left. Carlo and I saw him off at 34th Street Greyhound Station. Upstairs, they had a place where you could make pictures for a quarter. Carlo took off his glasses and looked sinister. Dean made a profile shot and looked coyly around. I took a straight picture that made me look like a 30-year-old Italian who'd kill anybody who said anything against his mother. This picture, Carlo and Dean neatly cut down the middle with a razor and saved a half each in their wallets. Dean was wearing a real Western business suit for his big trip back to Denver. He'd finished his first fling in New York. I say fling, but he only worked like a dog in parking lots, the most fantastic parking lot attendant in the world. He can back a car 40 miles an hour into a tight squeeze and stop at the wall, jump out, race among fenders, leap into another car, circle at 50 miles an hour in a narrow space, back swiftly into a tight spot, hump, snap the car with the emergencies so that you see it bounce as he flies out, then clear to the ticket shack, spring like a track star, hand a ticket, leap into a newly arrived car before the owner's half out, leap literally under him as he steps out, start the car with the door flapping, roar off to the next available spot, arc, pop in, break, out, run. Working like that without pause, eight hours a night, evening rush hours and after theater rush hours, and greasy wino pants with a frayed fur-lined jacket and beat shoes that flat. Now he'd bought a new suit to go back in. Blue with pencil stripes, vest and all, $11 on 3rd Avenue, with a watch and watch chain and a portable typewriter with which he was going to start writing in a Denver rooming house as soon as he got a job there. We had a farewell meal of Franks and Beans, and a 7th Avenue Rikers, and then Dean got on the bus that said Chicago and roared off into the night. There went our Wrangler. I promised myself to go the same way when spring really bloomed and opened up the land. And this was really the way that my whole road experience began, and the things that were to come are too fantastic not to tell. Yes, and it wasn't only because I was a writer and needed new experiences that I wanted to know Dean more and because my life hanging around the campus had reached the completion of its cycle and was stultified, but because somehow, in spite of our difference in character, he reminded me of some long-lost brother. The sight of his suffering, bony face with the long sideburns and a straining, muscular, sweating neck made me remember my boyhood and those dye dumps and swim holes and riversides of Peterson and the Passaic. His dirty work clothes clung to him so gracefully as though he couldn't buy a better fit from a custom tailor, but only earn it from the natural tailor of natural joy, as Dean had, and his dresses. 
and in his excited way of speaking, I heard again the voices of old companions and brothers under the bridge, among the motorcycles, along the wash line neighborhood, and drowsy doorsteps of afternoon where boys played guitar, guitars while their older brothers worked in the mills. All my other current friends were intellectuals. Chad, the Nietzschean anthropologist, Carlo Marx in his nutty surrealist, low voice, serious, staring talk, old Bull Lee in his critical anti-everything drawl, or else they were slinking criminals like Elmer Hassel with that hit sneer, Jane Lee, the same sprawled on the oriental cover of her couch, sniffing at the New Yorker. But Dean's intelligence was every bit as formal and shining and complete without the tedious intellectualness. And his criminality was not something that sulked and sneered. It was a wild, yes-saying yeah, overburst of American joy. It was western, the west wind, an ode from the plains, something new, long prophesied, long a-coming. He only stole cars for joy rides. Besides, all my New York friends were in the negative, nightmare position of putting down society and giving their tired, bookish, or political, or psychoanalytical reasons but Dean just raced in society, eager for bread and love. He didn't care one way or the other. So long as I can get that little gal with that little something down there between her legs, boy. And so long as we can eat, son, you hear me? I'm hungry. I'm starving. Let's eat right now. And off we'd rush to eat. Or as, as said, sayeth Ecclesiastes, it is your portion under the sun. A western kinsman of the sun, Dean. Although my aunt warned me that he would get me in trouble, I could hear a new call and see a new horizon and believe it at my young age. And a little bit of trouble, or even Dean's eventual rejection of me as a buddy, putting me down, as he would later, on starving sidewalks and sick beds. What did it matter? I was a young writer, and I wanted to take off. Somewhere along the line, I knew there'd be girls, visions, everything. Somewhere along the line, the pearl would be handed to me.
World Series in the final inning. Hugh Hefner on steroids, 100 million dimes, I'm super pimping. Boss shit, talk this, known to turn up often. I feel like a billionaire, this great goose is awesome. I party like a rock star from Friday till Thursday. You had a long ass work day, get loose like it's your birthday. Alright, get right, tonight is just my night.
Yesterday morning, or perhaps last night, Celeste will wake up dead. It will take quite some time before she will take note of this. Celeste will have just ventured out the evening before with her best friend forever, Ashlyn Jameson, to seek out a new restaurant and bar, Le Colisée. Dave will not appear too excited about this, and Celeste will worry that he may be upset by the time upon which she returns especially if she should so happen to have spent far too much time catching up with her longtime friend, with whom she will have not seen in a little over an academic year. Ashlyn has been on a study abroad exchange of some sort, premised upon classical literature and ancient mythology, or something like this. Ashlyn's long-winded, bubbly digests are quite familiar to all. In fact, they register quite regularly as a CC All expose to her steady circulation of friends, as well as the many more at recent admirers she will have gathered along the way. Mykonos, Athens, Barcelona, Catalonia, as Ashlyn has never failed to educate her fellow feathered ilk. All this, and even more still, and yet, Always, all the best parts divulged solely for Celeste's pervy perusal and private consumption. And so now, Celeste will be able to unearth even more, always more, about her darling girlfriend's heady endeavors and their lusty conclusion. Uh, for example, Tomas, the hunky, highly adroit Catalonian, with whom Ashley has only just memorialized a great escape of Venezia, a sweet but sordid escapade culminating with tentative then turbulent finger-filled dalliances to the tune of the silent symphony on the muddy waters of a midnight gondola ride. A tasty bon appétit, indeed, for El Senor, fanned beneath her popularly peasant skirt, and how Ashlyn would squirm reliving how she would try her best to ignore the rocking and swaying of that small floating apparatus so many millions of light years away from the crunchy granola of her more usual endives. Like Hendry's Beach off the Pacific coast, or a stolen moment of picnicking a la va boom on checkered gingham blankets, or were they Freddy's Burgers napkins? Ashley will have developed a learned disdain for those comparatively milder throes of passion, long gone and tossed out to sea amid the persistent flow of tides along the edges of humanity. Celeste is more than willing to subsume this all the while, emptying recollections of fuzzy, fading remnants of her own times past, like losing her bon genre to the Pacific coast in a newly naked embrace her soaked front pockets bearing down, impeding resistance, reuniting with Donnie's T-shirt. They're having become saddled with quarters, readied for a midnight sack of colorless brawn panty laundry and Donnie's short sleeves. All this, and salute to the elements, yet little more than a mere pittance to Mother Nature herself. But no, no. Celeste will quickly return to the seedy seat of novelty, smack dab in front row, where things were a lot less pedestrian. 
You see, Ashlyn was a lady in Europe. That being so, it was only polite then to allow her beau, Damas, to have a gander at her prized and pretty pink possession, and unthinkable to lie concealed indelicately beneath some nondescript fabric of commodity. Ah, yes. Celeste will be most eager to relish all of these naughty delicts abroad in real time. After all that she has devoured at length before her computer screen, things were going to get real. Celeste will reach out, compelled by her quest to fully expose those secret treasures of abandon and concert, she hopes, with her longtime beau. She has lived for the date of this reunion, it seems, and a lustful remixing of the familiar. The widening of Ashlyn's complicit, dazzling, hazel-green eyes, her full breast thrusting forward out of habit as she embarks anew, weaving her delicious narrative to life. David will not know what hit him. Certainly, yes, Celeste has been yearning for this sort of gathering for much more than a fortnight. And now she wants to collect. Her attention will divert at moments upon the thought of Ashlyn's cheeks, which usually tend towards Rosie when she is just about to spill the raciest of spoils. The impish dives of Ashlyn's heart-shaped head as she lowers her gaze mid-sentence. The corners of her girlfriend's lips when they curl conspiratorially. Their interchange will commingle, as they often do, laced with sheepish smirks of self-censorship and bouts of sheer, bemused embarrassment. False modesty will peel away as Ashlyn's hushed giggles tell all. Together, they will find it increasingly troublesome to fight back the tears of merriment. Time and again, they may attempt to stifle and compress Ashlyn's naughty narrative at irregular intervals, shielding themselves from spectators' wandering eyes and wondering ears. And, of course, the waiter will come near, making his proverbial rounds, mostly mid-bite, just like clockwork just to see if everything's all right. And it will be. And so very much more than all right. Celeste will encroach progressively as the night waxes on, building upon each succulent recantation of her muse. Celeste will catalog all manner of happenstance this evening, hoping to unleash her very own brand of sex magic. Just this once, but precisely where and when she should. She will attempt to widen the circle just for one, or, well, her party of one. Ah, the sweet, unassuming, ever-so-devoted David. Now, ordinarily, Celeste would have had no difficulty casting forth a reasonable reproduction of her notorious pal's far-flung charisma, but her rehearsals were largely confined to solitary pursuit, mostly. Yet here, Celeste will assume certain studied positions on this once-upon-a-night. It is a given that she will start out well enough. She will advance with all the more purpose between the unforeseen hours of this endless night. 
less impending desire will mount bit by bit, eager to rejoice, relive, and suddenly give rise to a fait accompli. She races full speed ahead, without regard for what could have otherwise resulted from certain derisive acts of jamais vu. Celeste will hasten to the destiny which stirs so immutably within, in spite of herself. By definition, Celeste had plenty of, well, practice gleaned from that steady stream of salacious digest, awash with the magnetic agony, ecstasy, and octane-laden discourse which spawns over easy from Randy Wildchild, Ashland. Celeste has been au courant for such a very long time. More often than not, perhaps, this feverish intoxication could have topped off, occasioning itself to die a warm, slow, heady little death. Until this one night, her fantasies would have remained burrowed within the exclusive domain of private life, slipping through solely during hidden, unspecified stretches of time, shrouded within and beneath her stark white bedroom linen, finding their welcome respite peacefully atop Celeste's personal pleasure chamber. Normally, she would have flicked it out, pressing persistently with her tiny, finely tuned digits until she stopped. However, this time around, not so much. On this other day or night, something else will have come to pass instead, and rather remarkably so. And all because, and perhaps only because, at the culmination of this very grand soiree and pleasure-filled reconnaissance, things really won't seem all that different. Not at first. And yet, after all this, somehow it all must cease to be. Because Celeste will wake up dead. It's for my ladies Yeah, her taste expensive Oh, she's so picky-icky Got them tricking on that pussy How she's so tricky-icky Looking so sexy I got that sexy-icky Let me crawl up in that nookie Call me itty-bitty Wanna get lifted? Come roll this bliffy-icky Wanna get tipsy? I get so trippy-icky Uh, she drippy saying that she don't want no hickeys You could kiss me, but hurry up, I got a wet like a whiskey Yeah, sexy-icky Wanna run and roll that sticky-icky Oh, she got that alley and she licky-icky Lickin' at me, she want that quickie-icky She want that quickie-icky Say she want licky-icky Say the mother niggas iffy-iffy She gon' ride it and roll that sticky-icky Looking at me, she want that quickie yicky. She want that quickie yicky. Yeah, I pet that kitty yitty. I know you like it. Rubbing that titty yitty. Got you excited. Get that sticky yicky. You invited to my city yitty. Come through, shorty. I ain't with the chitty chitty. Oh, yeah, that pussy so pink. Oh, that's so pretty yitty. Go so hard when I beat it, I feel no pity yitty. Hit me up and I pick you up like a willy yitty. Get you silly. Oh, 
Licky Licky Icky. Licky Licky Icky. She want that Quickie Icky. She want that Quickie Icky. She want Licky Icky. Say the mother niggas Iffy Iffy. She gon' ride it and roll that Sticky Icky. Looking at me, she want that Quickie Icky. She want that Quickie Icky. I like that Sticky Icky. Oh, my baby don't smoke, she on that sippy iffy She be down for whatever when she get tipsy iffy I give a quickie dicky, a tipsy limpy empty And then I eat her like honey, like my name Winnie in Oh, I make her say, oh, she so glissy iffy I call her icky vicky, oh, she so icky We get it poppin' in the bitty With the tenties, can't nobody see us 40, 20 Sure 
no Frankenstein. It's the best brought out in the light. It's the best brought out in the light.
Merrily, 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 life is but a dream. Merrily, 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 life is down the stream. Merrily, 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 merrily. Hello, all you sexy naked girls radio listeners. Have yourself a naked day and make it a naughty night with me, Sandra London, on Playtime with Sandra every Sunday night, 8 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, 10 p.m. Central, 11 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.